Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you about rotoballer.com. Win big in 2022 with rotoballer.com's MLB and DFS Premium Pass, which includes 15 exclusive lineup tools, daily DFS cheat sheets, and our new Team Sync platform. Use Rotoballer's exclusive hitter projections, pitching planners, DFS value plays, research stations, lineup optimizer, and more to help you win big. For a limited time, get your MLB Premium Pass for an extra 10% off your with your discount code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A. Just visit rotoballer.com, use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A for 10% off the Premium Pass for the MLB season, and get started to rotoballing like a boss. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba in the Bloom, episode five. We're back, and more importantly, Ronald Acuna is back way more important than us. I'll tell you that much right now. Um, but thanks for tuning in. As always, you can check me out on Twitter at BDNTrick, and my co-host is always on this wonderful endeavor on Twitter at RyanBHQ. Ryan Bloomfield, how are we doing, my friend? Doing good. I am glad to be back. I, I would argue your point, Bubba, that me returning, making my triumphant return to the pod after, uh, a, a, honestly, a pretty brutal sickness at the house last week, kind of trumps Acuna's return personally. But uh, but but Acuna stole two more bags than I did today. So we'll give him yeah. we'll, we'll so, give him that. So much for not running, playing the field, all this. Like, what do you have? Three rehab games? Like, it's just comical. Yeah, um, almost 500 and stole bases, and he did not slow down at all tonight. It was, it was I watched uh, a couple of his at bats. It was, yeah, it was, it's, it's good to have baseball is better with him back in the game. Man, Twitter doctors are struggling these days because the Acuna videos didn't matter. He's not going to be ready on time. And um, Byron Buxton was out for the rest of the year a week ago. So like these guys are struggling right now with uh, trying to figure things out. It makes more – it's entertaining. I just I, – a little tongue-in-cheek there. But uh, it's what makes our Acuna game back. fun. Yes, I love having Acuna back. Uh, I'm mad at myself for having zero shares of Ronald Acuna because – I, I figured he'd still be valuable, but I, I was still under the impression. I believed at least middle of May to end of May. I, I was still kind of in that mindset, and I didn't know if I wanted to take that gamble. Looking back on it now, Ryan, would you have taken that gamble late first round on this? It's funny, like, 
I mean, we and everyone who's on Twitter and who's listened to podcasts this month is like, oh, it's April, whatever. If there's one single game that changed my outlook on a player, it was Acuna today, just because of like what we were talking about. Like, is he going to run? Is he not? Like, those questions are answered. Um, and so, yeah, like right now, after one game, um, I kind of do want to overreact because it does look like he is going to have that leash, that green light. Um, he looks like a great end of the first rounder. We're only three, four weeks into the season, and he's pretty much a full go. We'll see how Atlanta wants to slow him down a little bit in terms of not playing every day. We'll see how that works. I don't I don't think Acuna is going to play on Friday. That was the plan, and they asked Acuna tonight, and he's like, man, I just want to play. Uh, so we'll see how long that lasts. But, um, but yeah, he came out of the gates running today, literally, and – like I said, if there's one game that can change my outlook on a guy like that, uh, that's what happened with Acuna tonight. It was impressive. Yeah, it's like you said, we're not supposed to overreact. We tell people to like have patience on all these guys that are struggling and everything. But like even in his rehab, when we see him taking extra bases and like head first sliding into place, something they're going looks a lot healthier than people said he'd be. Just throwing it out there if he's in a, a minor league ga- baseball game doing stuff like that, and then he comes out and steals a couple bags right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the smile. He's got the tongue out. Like as as silly as it might sound to some people, but I think true baseball fans can appreciate it. This is one of the reasons why I love Ronald Acuna. He's fun. He makes baseball fun. Like not even in a fantasy sense. Just watching his smile. It's like infectious when he goes out there and plays baseball. And then it just it just goes on to the rest of the team. And it's gonna be it's it's good to have him back. And I'm really curious because like we saw earlier in the season when like Chisholm got uh, benched and he kind of went to Twitter and had some fun with it. Not mm-hmm. saying Acuna is going to do that. At the same time, if the Braves do it too many times, there's going to be some backlash from somebody, and I don't think they're going to be able to take it for long. So yeah. I hope they play it the right way because, yes, we want Acuna for the rest of the season. There's no sugarcoating that. But what we've seen in his rehab and what we saw tonight, it's going to be hard to be like, hey, dude, you got to sit out like every other day. And because they can't DH him, because he's still going to run if he DHs. So it's it's either you take the kid gloves off and go, or there's going to be some interesting locker room discussions. Because also, in like three days, rosters go from 28 to 26, so it's harder to just kind of rest them off and on. So that'll make it fun as well. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, the big thing I was looking for was is he, how aggressive is he going to be? And you know, Acuna he could have gone one for 20 in his rehab, but if he was flying around, if he was running. Yeah. That's what I want to see. And obviously the knee is reacting good enough for them to call him up. So, so yeah, we'll see how long that uh, regular day off thing lasts. I think they were saying maybe day games after night games, kind of the catcher treatment. But uh, those plans tend to change with um, generational talents like Mr. Acuna. So we'll see. And a generational talent, a team trying to repeat. Those are two things that will They'll make those decisions a little more interesting. But let's talk about another team who's not looking to repeat anything but maybe staying out of last place, and that's the Cincinnati Reds, who got their young stud, Nick Lodolo, one of their young studs. They have a few of them that um, coming off a strong outing against St. Louis and with seven Ks, he's had 15 strikeouts in his last two starts, looking much, much better, um, limiting the walks a little better his last go-around. But uh, goes on the IL. This one kind of took me out of surprise because I didn't see him get hurt or anything in uh, his last start but they said he's been dealing with lower back strain so he's going on the il and it activated moose we can talk about moose in a second but you got this young kid back problems already um what's your thoughts on ladolo because it should only be a 10-day deal i don't think it's too serious but uh it's def- definitely not one that warms the cockles as they say 
does not warm does not warm the cockles um <laughs> it's uh it's it sounds not as bad yeah i read a, i read some quotes from labello and the team saying it was more preventative than anything else like you said he he pitched through it so like that all sounds okay the only thing that worries uh, the heck out of me is just the nature of a lower back strain. Like a lot of times that stuff doesn't just go away. I mean, Sonny Gray's an example who was on Cincinnati. That thing bothered him for quite a while um, and lingered and that sort of thing. So it, it's definitely a shame because Lodolo, like, uh, I mean, in your pod with James Anderson last week, James had some really high praise uh-huh. uh, for Lodolo. And when James says stuff like that, I listen. And even though Lodolo had a 552 ERA or whatever, through his first three starts, like all the skills were fantastic. The, the, the swing and miss was there. Um, HQ had an expected ERA, like 346. He was getting ground balls. He was throwing strikes. Like everything looked great except for the surface stats. So um, just got to hope that what they're, what they're saying, what Lodello and the team are saying is right. And that it's just preventative. He could have pitched through it if he wanted to. And they're just trying to play it cautious. But uh, as you know, it's so hard to take, player quotes and team quotes at face value with injuries, especially of a back injury. Um, just hope it clears up. But, uh, but yeah, like from a talent standpoint, uh, this is probably the worst time it could have happened because things were looking really good for Lodolo. They were looking really good. And in the backs do concern me. Like it even worries me with guys like you mentioned gray, but like Kershaw, we talked about it and other mm-hmm. guys, the one thing I could see this happening. Cause I mentioned about the rosters shrinking shortly. The IL stints shrink as well. This could legit just be a way to monitor his innings. If like as silly as that sounds, or in April, it's a way to put him on the ten day IL instead of a fifteen day IL, make him only miss like maybe one start. Not saying that's the answer because the fact he pitched through, like you said, literally, I didn't think there's anything wrong with the guy. Then all of a sudden, I see this report he's on the IL with the back injury. Like, what in the world? He just dealt like a day ago. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I'm hoping it's just uh, nothing serious, and maybe the artist working the system. I don't know if the Reds are smart enough to do that. Let's put it that way because they've made some really sketchy decisions before. And uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, let's hope it's nothing too serious with Lodolo. Moustakis, though, he comes back, gets, picks up two hits, an RBI, scores a couple runs in his return. This is a guy that's been battling injuries for a couple seasons now, which has been a big bummer. Massive power upside. Like, this, once he went to Cincinnati, we were like, oh, okay, sweet. He's going to love Great American Small Park. This is going to be great. He hasn't been healthy enough to love Great American Small Park. It's been the big bummer. Um, again, two hits, like I said today, he goes to Colorado this weekend. Can't ask for much more to get back from the IL in this situation. He's probably available in a lot of leagues because I know people were dropping him lately because the injury looked I, – honestly, I didn't think he'd be back this soon the way the kind of reports are coming out. So what are you thinking about Moose coming back to Cincinnati and hopefully uh, making a run of things here? That's what I was going to say. I'm surprised he came back this yeah. early. And I say that semi-tongue-in-cheek because I had a lot of Moose last year and suffered through – I didn't suffer through, but he did. I guess the – worst ever heel injury known to man that was like a heel sprain and cost him almost the entire season only had 183 at bats last season so when i saw this with moustakis this year i was like oh deja vu all over again and it sucked because a lot of my um a lot of my third base strategy was to wait and take evan longoria and mike moustakis who were two late third basemen who uh, i really liked so uh that backfired but it it yeah it's great to see moose back in it's great to see them going to colorado when moose is healthy he's absolutely a streamable bat 
who is probably available on on most wires. You're not going to get the batting average from Moose. Like the 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 Babip has been really bad. He's just such a fly ball hitter. The contact, the strikeout rate is fine, but just hit so many fly balls that he's probably like a 250 Babip guy meaning maybe hitting 230 to 250 uh but with great power so um when moose is when moose is active you love the ballpark too so when moose is active you got to put him in there i think especially when cincinnati's facing uh right-handed pitching so um yeah when he's in see if he's available see if you can rent him if you have a if you have a need at third base and given how bad third base is you probably do yeah, I was with you. If it was if it wasn't a league where I got like J Ram early or maybe a Machado share or something, I was waiting for a while. Like there's a couple guys in the middle I'd be interested in, but I love the idea of Longoria and 15 teamers, love the idea of Moose. Um, I even had Moose late in like some 12 teamers just thinking, okay, if he's healthy, he can just crush in that ballpark. And he hasn't been, but hopefully this is a sign of good things to come. We'll see. Um batting average is down everywhere, so maybe he won't be as big of a drain as he once was, which which could be interesting as well. I keep trying to tell myself that because it's gonna get better this year. Like I I I, I foresee a bouncy ball revolution coming because the negative press can only last for so long in Rob Manfred's eyes. But um it's still scary to see where, where baseball's headed with the, the batting averages and everything, especially for people like us that try to cover this sport and try to predict the future, and it's uh, makes it very, very difficult uh in that situation. But with Moose. I know I dropped them in a couple 12s this past week. I still have them on a couple others, but that's just because it just didn't work on the add drop situation. I was probably going to drop them this weekend. Now we'll kind of wait and see how things go, but I'd probably be interested in picking them back up, as you said. He's, he's going to be out there in leagues uh, and, and see where he goes because as long as he's playing, it's going to be beautiful. And, you know, I think he played third base today, but we've seen him go all over the diamond, so he can gain some other eligibility. He might DH a lot. Like, he'll find his way into the lineup, and that whole Reds team, Votto and company, are struggling. So, they're just looking for any kind of sign of life, something to uh, to get them going. Yep, absolutely. No, that's a great point on the batting average. Like, yeah, I mentioned 230 to 250. Well, like, league-wide batting average is down in the 230s. So that's yeah. not the drain that that we thought. So that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, tell myself, like I said, it's so many guys, I'm just like, you know, let's not even worry about the batting average right now. Let's get the other stats and see what see what comes with it and, and until things change. It's so uh, Will Myers. Yeah, Will Myers goes to the IL with a thumb injury. Apparently, it's been bugging him for like two weeks. That's why he's been kind of sporadically in the lineup. And uh, it's been a very slow start to the season. Like, Will Will Myers is a great, or not a great, a solid later round pick, especially in deeper leagues with, you know, once potentially a 2020 guy. Um, you're hoping for at least 15 15, probably. as like the realistic assumption he could put together there. Was a crowded outfield at one point in San Diego. Uh, but now he's going to be out for a little bit. I guess it gives C.J. Abrams a little more time to uh, get his feet wet because that's been a, a muddy situation there in the outfield. But there's a, a team that once was full of talent out there is falling apart. Maybe Jorge Alfaro plays every day in the outfield now. It's getting murky over there. It's getting real murky. The one guy who I think might step in a little bit is uh, is Matt Beattie, who was on the Dodgers last year and someone who we who we at HQ liked in the forecaster. Um probably only plays against right-handed pitching, but BD hit 270 last year, seven home runs and 200 at bats. Like that's actually pretty, pretty darn good production. So I think he gets a, it's a boost for Myers himself. Like, I, I don't know. It's never good news for someone to get hurt, but like Myers was terrible this year so far. And you kind of want to write that off or at least use the thumb injury as an explanation. Cause like you said, it kind of lingered for a little bit and they finally just decided to say, Hey, 
Let's put him on the IL. Um, the strikeouts were up. The power was way down. No home runs, no steals, didn't even attempt a steal. Um, and you may think, well, it's a thumb. It's not going to affect the steals, but maybe he's not diving headfirst into second base, trying to protect the thumb. So um, that's kind of the hope is, is, is Myers gets right because he was one of the few – like late outfield guys, kind of like a Tommy fam. Um, if you were willing to eat a month of Ramon Laureano, um, he, you know, Myers is one of those few kind of later outfield guys who could contribute at least modest production across five categories. He's not what he used to be. Um, so you just hope that, that he gets right sits and you can stash him and, and he'll be fine when he gets back. Because I still do think like the last couple of years, Myers has been really useful. Um, eight, eight steals, 17 bombs last year and just 440 at bats. Like if he can, if he can come back and healthy replicate something like that the rest of the season, um, I think you're going to be happy with it. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, James D in the chat does ask, does Trace Thompson get more playing time? He was called up in the move for uh Myers and Trace is kind of a journeyman most it's it's it, it's sad for him that most of the times you're like oh it's the brother of Clay Thompson that's how it usually goes mm-hmm. with Trace but he's had a, an up and down journeyman type career but so far this year in AAA hitting 315 with nine jacks like I know the PCL the ball flies at least they got the bouncy ball there apparently but um do you see him maybe getting more time does he maybe platoon with I, a platoon with BD makes sense potentially that's something that could that could work yeah, platoon with BD could make sense. I mean, they wouldn't. I don't think they'd call up Thompson just to not yeah. play him. I don't know if they'll play him every day, but um, but yeah, let, let's monitor that this weekend and, and see. That's the kind of the that's the kind of the good timing with this injury is we do get a couple of data points to see how San Diego plays it against uh, both sides pitching, um, and then we can adjust our fab bids accordingly. But um, if it is like a BD Thompson platoon, I'd probably prioritize BD just because of. Uh, the handedness, and he's at least shown some um, production in the major league level. But who knows? Maybe Thompson gets that shot and 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 jumps out and, and does his thing. We'll we'll see what he looks like this weekend. Yeah, most definitely. Alberto Mondesi, it's happened again. The victory laps on Twitter yeah. were running wild on Thursday, and uh, this one sucks because you watch the replay and he's leading off. He like he does a fake steal to second comes back and apparently tore his ACL. So that is not good out for the season. Most like I'd be shocked if he comes back. Some people are still saying, like, oh, he could come back in September. I don't think so. Uh, let's let's calm that one down real quick. But uh, Montessi's gone. Not a whole lot of speculation needs to be made on that one. Um, most likely dropping him, people. But um, with the Royals now, it basically brings Whit back to the infield. Whit Merrifield. That's a speculate now with this team. I actually clarify with this team. Uh, so Whit Merrifield goes back to the infield. Kyle Isabel got called called up. He was hitting the ball very well in the minors. Uh, he could be platooning in the outfield. How do you think this shakes out in Kansas City? Yeah, we've got – yeah, at HQ, we've got Whit going back to third base, and then that opens it up for Isabel. So that's exactly what we've, we've projected from a playing time standpoint. I kind of wish – I kind of wish Kansas City would, would take the reins and take Oliveris and bring him up here and actually give him a shot. Um, and not kind of jerk him around like they did uh, last year. But um, Isbell has a little bit of pop. Um, guy hit 276 last year, 76 at bats. So uh, the big thing that we're that you're banking on with Isbell is the speed. Um, so I think there's I think there's something there. And and as we know, Kansas City is a team that will let their guys run. Um, so 
hopefully that also gives Bobby Witt a little bit more leash. Like if you guys, if if you guys drafted Bobby Witt where he was going, at least in NFBC drafts, you're not doing anything with him, but you just want to hope he can kind of hit his way through this slump and this injury, if anything else, gives Witt a little bit more uh leash at third base and just trying to trying to figure his way through it. Cause it's been it's been a it's been a brutal start for him. It's been a brutal start for pretty much every Royal, except for like uh like you were saying, Bubba is, is Hunter Dozier is probably the only one who's who's been any good. Whit Merrifield has two runs scored and is hitting under two hundred with three steals. Uh, Bobby Witt hasn't done very much at all, and then obviously Mondesi. So it's been a it's been a brutal stretch here in Kansas City, especially on the hitting side. I will say, after going one for five today, Bobby Witt now has a seven game hitting streak, so he's got that going for him. Uh, not go. doing a t- not doing a ton with it. He's got two steals over that stretch, and his bag average is finally over the Mendoza line. So um, I, that's ever since they moved him to seventh in the lineup, basically taking the pressure off of him. Uh, literally has a hit every game since moving to seventh in the lineup. So, um, shocker what happens, you know, put the world on a, a prospect's shoulders. It's amazing how that can change things a bit. But uh, I'm with you. He's he's starting to get going. Julio's starting to look good. Um, Torque is crushing baseballs. Uh, so, it's a matter of time. I think we'll get most of these guys on the right track. And this definitely buys him a ton more time. Like, I didn't think he was really going to go anywhere. But this helps a ton. Uh, looking at roster resource. Uh, they did call up Isbell, and he had a big spring, so I think that's why people are pretty optimistic yeah. in him. But uh, Oliveris is on the roster too, and they have those two platooning at the moment. So we'll see there. But I'm with you. Like the, the yo-yo effect that Edward Oliveris got, basically they created a rule for him this year. He can only get sent yep. back and forth five times this year. Um, that'll be interesting. So I'm with you. It'll be fun to see him get some some action there. We'll see what the Royals do, because I actually had optimism coming into the season on this team to be at least competitive their just offense has been dreadful. So I'm, I'm curious to see where things go. And one thing we've noticed on some other shows is if you're streaming people and they're going to play the Royals, stack them up because the Mariners last week, like you look at the teams that had big offensive weeks, usually the Royals were involved in that. If they're in the American league, it's really crazy to look at, but people are feasting on that team right now. So something else to monitor on a different subject. I live for the week where there's a pitcher with two starts against, uh, Kansas City and Oakland, like that would oh, just that'd be, be glorious. Oh, because they're another team that's just been just been dreadful. Oh, God, it's going to be a long yeah. year. Arizona, Oakland, Kansas City, Pittsburgh's kind of getting there. Like there's there's a handful of them. It's like, oh, yep, we're loading up. Let's go. Yep. Um, I, I I go back and forth on the Nats. Like they they're yeah. they're half their lineup is horrible. But the the first half of their lineups not it, it, it is a lot more than even though Nelson Cruz has been struggling it's a lot more than just Soto and and Cruz so yeah we have an X stats question later but I was actually writing something on struggling sluggers and what to think about them and if you look at the deeper stats on Nelson Cruz stay optimistic people that's all I'm going to say there's a lot to like there without the production at least in my opinion but uh, I try to stay optimistic it is April 28th as we talk. Um, Nolan Arenado's trying to stay optimistic. He got a two-game suspension for uh, having a little melee with the New York Mets, but uh, he said, screw you. I'm going to appeal this thing and went right into the lineup on Thursday. So the only reason why I'm bringing this up, because we can't do anything about that, is if you have a Friday through Sunday lineup, there's a chance Arenado does not play two games this weekend. So keep that in mind if you're setting things. Yep. Yep. And um, I think they won't. Uh, it's it's hard because I don't think they, they might not see the appeal until next week. Before. Yeah. It, so. it might be a few days till they see the appeal. So it's a, it's a sticky one. You might think he's playing and then he doesn't play Saturday, Sunday. So 
Then again, I doubt Rob Manfred works on the weekend. So you might, it's like, it's like County officials. You might be okay. Um, Jock Peterson. He doesn't, he doesn't doesn't follow labor laws. He might. (laughs) That's true. We, we established that this past year. That is very, very true. Um, Jock Peterson. This one sucked. I was watching this game last night and, uh, He's heading into second base to break up two. Didn't slide, though. And he kind of uh, got a little gimpy, walked off on his own, hobbled to the locker room. Definitely didn't feel right. Um, he's having an MRI, I think, on Thursday, but the Giants didn't play, so there's no reports. We should get something on Friday about him, but there's a very good chance he goes to the IL with reports. Uh, so if you got jock jams, I'll ask you this, because he's been a great pickup the last two weeks because they've been right-handed heavy yep. weeks. And obviously, we've all talked about it. If there's lots of lefties, Jock's going to sit. That's just the, the nature of the beast. Now that he's going on the IL for potentially 10-plus days, do you drop him this week? Or how do you approach Jock Peterson, who is crushing baseballs right now? Yeah, I'm going to have that decision to make in a few <laughs> leagues. Because I've got, yeah, I picked up Jock in my main. I have him in TGFBI. And I've been absolutely thrilled with what he's doing. However... Like, and I think you and Toby talked about this earlier in the week. Like we probably have seen the best of Jock Peterson this year already. Um, Just because, I mean, he's on, he was on a heater and like the schedule lined up so well for San Francisco that they just saw so many righties. Uh, These first few weeks, Jock was playing five or six times a week, even though he's in a technically a platoon. So um, I'm probably going to hold Peterson for this week. In both of those leagues, I think I've got enough. Um, I think I've got enough to cover me unless <laughs> let's see what the weekend's injuries bring. Yeah, exactly. at, at this point, I have enough to cover me. If 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 there's any risk of me taking a zero on anything, I it I will cut jock just to um, avoid taking a zero. But if I've got room, which it does look like I've got right now, I'm gonna hold him in the hopes that it's just one week that I'm basically missing him, which is next week and then i can kind of take that next monday and and see what happens just because like yes he's so he's hitting 353 through 50 like that's obviously not gonna um not gonna hold up but the strikeouts are way down and and it has not come obviously at the expense of peterson's power so uh that combination and and those are things that i am looking at for hitters in april is your strikeout rate and your your barrel rate, your hard hit rate, um, seeing both of those can go in the same direction on a team, San Francisco, again, not just, not just placating you, Bubba, but on a team that knows facts what they're facts. doing with, yeah, with hitter breakouts. Like I, I trust what they're doing. So, uh, for those reasons, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to jock. I'm kind of talking myself into it as I speak here and just kind of hope that it's a, it's a, it's a minor thing in a minimum stay. It's and it's funny because yeah, Toby and I talked about it. It's like you're still gonna get power from Jock all year. That's not the question. Just the average. I was like, it's just realistic. Like anybody hitting 350 right now, you're gonna get regression. Now Jock's regression is probably more because it's who he's been. But the more I've thought about it, yes, I still believe there'll be regression. But the fact the Giants are so platoon heavy, they aren't gonna play him versus lefties where he's gonna strike out a ton or do things. So the regression might not be as bad. It might be more like 275, 280. And the strikeout still might stay good because he's facing righties. Like that's an angle that I wasn't really considering enough. I think I saw I heard Spore and Mason talking about it. And I sat there and went, that makes sense actually. And that's why the platoons are actually annoying for fantasy, but great for real life baseball. And it keeps Jock in the best positions he can be in. So that could 
maximize his overall fantasy value, if that makes sense to people. So that's one thing. Like, yes, we have to be very knowledgeable about positive and negative regression because it's going to happen to both angles this early in the season. But some regression might be different than what we're used to, is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. something, something to think about when you dig in that nothing's linear in this game at all. So it's like you got to kind of look at the the grand scheme. Like when Ryan says, well, he's not striking out. He's barely hitting the ball hard. That's awesome stuff. Look at Matt Olson last year. Hello. And that stayed the whole season with him. Not saying Jock Peterson's Matt Olson by any means. But things can change. And that uh, is something to, to kind of consider as well. No, it's a great, especially on the platoons. Like if platoons do get a negative connotation in fantasy just because it is kind of a pain to have to look at the schedule every time and, you know, make that decision of, okay, is he going to play four times this week? Do you want to do it? Flip side of that is like there's a reason Jock Peterson platoons is you don't really want his left-handed um, pitching that he's facing in your lineup at all. Like I'd rather take, uh, you know, bench him for those games and take someone else on my bench is going to be fine. So uh, for that point, yeah, we've got Peterson projected at HQ for 265 batting average the rest of the way, and we take into account platoons and stuff like that. So we're kind of hedging that combination of fewer Ks, more power, but then also not facing those southpaws that are going to drag his da- drag his ratios down. So, And the last bit, because I don't think people want to hear us talk about the Giants all night, but if he's out for a little while, Luis Gonzalez in deeper leagues is worth they pick up. He's playing okay. great defense, which will keep him on the field. And he's showing a little bit of skills with that bat. So he's got speed in the minors, minor, little bit of pop, nothing crazy. But in deeper leagues, if it's a heavy right-handed pitching week again, he's worth like a couple bucks if you're looking for output help to kind of fix the situation. I'm, I'm glad you answered that question on me because I was just going to throw up my hands. I have no idea because they put doing so many yeah. guys. We've got at HQ, we've got eight eight outfielders on San Francisco projected for at least 10% playing time. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's been playing heavily this past week. Now, again, that could change. They might just go full yeah. Darren Ruff in the outfield, which would terrify me defensively. Um, I'm hoping it's I'm hoping it's uh, Luis Gonzalez. I foresee it being a Luis Gonzalez, Austin Slater platoon. That's the way I see it playing out. So if it's a heavy lefty week, go grab Austin Slater. Like He's been very good so far this season. He's been good most of his career versus lefties. So again, headache, but the Giants do it for a reason. And um you were kind of joking earlier about like they're a good team this is what they do I'm like trust me all of last season i was waiting for the other shoe to drop i thought this was the worst thing and like it was just but it, now i just believe it's what they do like they found a way to make it work and it's it's crazy but it works um the other thing i want to i didn't put this on the outline but i want to ask you real quick because it was kind of in line with the uh like do you hold jock peterson thing that we were talking about and it was a big conversation on twitter like in a group dm i'm in and just overall on twitter Eloy Jimenez, I haven't really talked about this on any shows, hurt again, unfortunately. Like, it, is, it, it sucks to see these great young players get hurt again. And he's supposed to be out at least six to eight weeks. You know, last year we thought he was out forever and he came back, which was great. Um, if you're an Eloy fantasy owner, how do you approach him? Six to eight weeks, we're talking two months, maybe longer with Eloy. Do you just wait a few weeks till you have to have the roster spot? Or how do you go about that? That's how I generally do it is like Eloy is good enough to where he's worth holding if it doesn't hurt you on your roster flexibility. And so like and then the, and the big part about that is like right now you might have space to stash Eloy and it's fine, but you have to be willing to three weeks from now if you have two more injuries on your team, you have to kind of take that sunk cost like and and if you need to cut Eloy at that point, 
be prepared to do that. Don't just keep him because you kept him these last two or three weeks. And that's the reason for keeping him. Um, if he's your only injured guy, your only stash, I think that's fine in NFBC format to, to keep him. But as you know, like injuries are going to pile up more and more. And the leash, if I had Eloy, would be that tight. Whereas if, if I've got a couple stashes, I'm probably cutting Eloy just because I need that roster flexibility um, and the and the space to speculate. I mean, this is the time when you're fabbing guys, both on the hitting and pitching side, that can make a, a difference for the entire season. So and you, and you do want to open yourself up to that. So um, hold him if you've got room. But the second that you don't, I think you I think you need to cut him unless unless it's something where he's like two or three weeks out and, and yeah. you're that close to a return. Uh, but yeah, out two to three months, we're already a month almost into the season. Like you've only got two, two and a half months left of Eloy production. And that just assumes he hits the ground running, which he has done before. Um, but, but yeah, it's a, it's an unfortunate injury. I, I was a little disappointed. I keep coming back to this, but like, I don't know if you remember Bubba when he, uh, got hurt in spring training, I think it was last year, two years ago. And they like, it, it looked like he died. Yeah. Like a funeral. that yeah, was one of the like one of like... the yeah, one of the bad jokes in the group DM was like, "Are we having a second funeral this funeral, year?" Like yeah, the second like it happened, like everyone they hung his jersey, jersey and the, hung yeah. it up in the dugout, and I don't think we, I think they learned, I think the White Sox learned, but I don't think we saw that. Yeah, that uh, was a bad look last year. We like, didn't see the procession this year. Yeah, like I, I know exactly what you're talking because I was like the first thing in that <laughs> chat. I was like, "Do we get another funeral for Eloy?" It's like it's like a yearly tradition because it was so awkward when they did that last year. Yeah. Um, the other flip side of this, just because I know listeners have this and I want to see your thoughts on this as well. So obviously for those listening, if you have IL spots, you put them on IL. Simple. But in FPC formats, we don't have that luxury. You have seven bench spots. You can only leave so much dead weight on your roster. Some people are holding dead weight called Chris Sale. If you had both these guys somehow, unfortunately... Which one of the two do you drop? I know it could be team dependent. Like, do you need pitching? Do you need hitting? So on and so forth. But in a vacuum, yeah, do I you mean, hold for Sale or do you hold for Eloy? I'll always lean the hitter just because okay. for the pitcher to ramp back up, like you're just assuming everything goes well with rehab starts and velocity and ramping back up to go deep enough into games. Um, I would I would absolutely take Eloy over Sale if, if I was unfortunate enough to have both of them on my team. Yeah, if you're Justin Mason, you probably have because that's just uh, what he does. He drafts. He he doesn't do it on purpose anymore. But just, they, the injuries find him. He our our uh, Barf League. It's impressive, Justin. It's very the impressive. other the other interesting and, and just because there's so many different league formats out there, um, and you know our, our listeners aren't just NFBC, but in Tout Wars, you have the ability to send him back to the pool um, in auction leagues, and so you can get. I think I'm going to mess up how much you get back, but like you get a, you get a good chunk of change in fab back. If you send Eloy back to the pool, like if you spend $30, $30 on him in the auction, um, I think you get 10 times that back in fab. So you get like 300 fab dollars. I did that last year with Yasmani Grandal, who was hurt and came back for like the last month. My luck, he mashed the last month and regretted it. Um, but that's another decision to make is like, yeah. do you just, do you just cut them and, and get 300 bucks in fab, which does matter. So in a big way. Yeah. So there's a lot of different formats. And again, yeah. if you guys have questions on stuff like that, bring them yeah. like, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of help narrate that stuff for you, but we'll usually kind of circle around NFPC just cause that's what we do a lot of, but there's very well, like I saw Ryan put a, a poll out the other day and I've, I've talked to many people about it. 
most leagues are 10 and 12 team leagues on like ESPN and Yahoo. I am not curious to the, to the audiences out there. So um, if you have any questions, bring them our way as well. The last little bit of news that I wanted to ask you about, and this can be quick if you want, but um, Kevin Newman for the Pirates is going to be out three to five weeks. Kevin Newman plays shortstop for the Pirates. Not sure if you know, Ryan, the Pirates have this really good prospect called uh, O'Neill Cruz that is crushing baseballs again in AAA that they said needed more practice in the outfield, and he pretty much plays shortstop every day in AAA. Um, what do you think? Do we think we finally get him, or are the Pirates just going to screw this whole thing up? I mean, if if any recent indication is is an indicator of future, they're going to screw it up. Uh, I mean, that's the only like upshot of this Newman news is yeah. does it open up the the door for O'Neill Cruz? I will say, like, so we're recording this Thursday night. I feel like we'll know the weekend series Friday so. if, if it's yeah. going to happen. Like, if they don't call up O'Neill Cruz on Friday, I I don't. Why would they do it? saturday or sunday um and so for fab bidding for next week um that's kind of what you need to key off of but if o'neill cruz is called up that is a game-changing player in redrafts i know the rookie struggles and that sort of thing like you were just talking about with julio and wit and um and those guys but o'neill cruz is is up there with that type of player especially from a fantasy standpoint so it's worth opening up the wallets if we get that news uh which I would expect either way to get uh, before the weekend series on Friday. Yeah, I'm with you. It should be Friday. Part I, of hope, me's hoping, I hope he gets up. Part of me is hoping we don't, so you can get him for like two bucks this week, and then he comes up next week. But Because uh, if he does come up Friday, it's going to be triple digits, like big time. It's going to be a, 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 a fury fest. So we'll see how that goes. But let's talk bloom boards. This is awesome because – Forgive me if I'm wrong, but Bloom Boards used to be exclusively to preseason baseball in the past with the occasional in-season one. And even bringing the heat through April still, and it's awesome because it's obviously a great conversation starter. It's great information, and we get to talk about them, which always makes it fun. Um, the latest one that you dropped on Wednesday uh, talks about throwing strikes, getting lifts, keeps it on the ground. So before we dig in on the good, the bag, uh, why don't you just kind of give a the listeners kind of an idea of what you're looking at here and kind of like maybe the targets of what you're looking at or the basis of these bloom boards. Yeah, no, yeah, good call. And these are, you're right. Like I'm trying to do a little bit more in season and draft season is almost like every weekday. I can't keep that up all in season. There's only so many things that I can do. Uh, But this was one that's interesting because especially on the pitching side, like when you've got maybe 20 innings or you've got only a couple starts, I like to look at, um, and we've talked about this on, on previous podcasts, look at velocity changes and pitch mix changes. Um, this was just another way of the, all this data is available on fan graphs, but this is per pitch metrics that I, that I also like to look at. Um, the two big ones are uh, swinging strikes and just throwing strikes. I mean, this sounds simple. Like this is all stuff that that makes intuitive sense. And we have the research to back it up at HQ that this stuff's pretty predictive going forward. So what I wanted to do with this board is is basically list out pitchers who were all above average in throwing strikes, getting whiffs and keeping the ball on the ground, which out of the three, I think ground ball rate is one I might kind of axe, especially for this year, because the ball, just the way it is, like I don't think a, a, a bad ground ball rate, a high fly ball rate is actually that bad of a thing this year. Um, so if you key in on like two of these three metrics, it would be swing strike rate and, and ball percentage. And so your league averages for swing strike rate for 
starting pitcher is usually around like 11 ish percent. And then your ball rate is uh, your ball percentage around 36 is your league average. So with this board, I tried to take guys who are above or better than average in each of those three, your average ground ball rates around 45, 46, and then sort them all by ERA. And so I picked out, well, I didn't pick out. There are, I think 12 guys that, that showed up on the list and almost all of them have a sub 350 ERA. Lodolo was on the list at like a 550, um, but took him out because he's hurt. But that's the general premise is to look at the per pitch metrics, who's getting whiffs, who's throwing strikes. If you want to throw things like velocity and pitch mix change and that sort of thing. But this is just a quick way with data available on fan graphs that you can kind of download the data and filter it yourself. And if you sort it by ERA, you can get a really interesting list of guys who have great ERAs, have bad ERAs, but on a per pitch level have been roughly the same, um, the same type of pitcher. So that's kind of the, the premise of what I, what I threw up with this board uh, this week. Yeah, no, it, it's very eye-opening stuff here. Uh, the, the ball percentage stat that you get over at HQ, um, that's when Toby opened my eyes to early last year because I never really paid attention to it, and I think it's a genius. Um, obviously, it makes a ton of sense. You're not throwing balls, so you're throwing strikes. Like It's such a simple stat, yet so like I don't think used enough, if that makes sense, to the argument. Um, like We always try to look to the most difficult things sometimes where it's just like, hey, it's right there. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, May you you might know the answer to this since you've done a ton of HQ stuff. I think the correlation is pretty simple, but maybe it's not. Ball percentage, how is it pretty much almost like direct correlation to like command and control, or is it kind of different? If you know what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. So ball percentage is very tight with uh, control with your walk rate. And so we've done a lot of research on this, and we we, we were we felt so strongly about it that we put. Um, ball percentage in uh, our forecaster boxes, which is yeah. like a very limited amount of actual paper real estate. So you can only, you can't just list every metric in the world. Uh, but we felt strongly enough about it that pitchers who have a good ball percentage, you could, I mean, it's the same as it's the inverse of strike percentage. So if you want to think about it as throwing strikes with better control, um, that's your indicator for control. It's not as sticky with uh, like strikeouts, but that's why we put swing strike rate, which is really tight with, uh, with strikeout. So if you take the swing strike rate to get your kind of your dominance, your your strikeout indicator, you combine that with your ball percentage to get your control indicator, you look at just those kind of per pitch level things and and that's going to bubble up um when you pair that with surface stats, that's going to bubble up the guys who you are either pitching way above their head or or uh or getting unlucky as well. So, um, yeah, we've done a lot of research on that. Um, and again, feel confident enough to put it in the forecaster. So, um, so a so fun way to, to see if they're pitching above their head or not. And that's what we're going to do here in a second with some of these guys is he, Brian basically said, you know, in, in, in a way, swinging strike is your strikeouts percentage kind of correlation there, give or take. And your ball percentage kind of correlates with your walks. Common stat people love everybody. Okay. To walk percentage, just throwing it out there. So this is a, another way to look at it. Again, not perfect, because we're going to talk Dylan Bundy right out the gate here. This is the one I want to talk about first, because he's near the top, 0.590 ERA, 11 swinging strike, 28% ball, and 47% ground ball. But you look at the old uh, strikeout rates there, 20% K rate, but the walk rate is very low, 1.7% walk rate, which definitely correlates with the, the ball percentage he's throwing. So he's not getting the strikeouts per se that you would hope for. Two starts ago in Boston, almost a 29% K rate, which is very good. 
so he's not getting all the strikeouts in the world that you would think with these kind of situations. Same time, limiting the walks always great, getting the ground balls. Bundy's been effective so far, Ryan. Are we buying into this, or are we like, oh, it's still Dylan Bundy? Yeah, so like Bundy's a fascinating case. I'm glad we're leading off with him because there's there's a lot going on here. The the velocity is mm-hmm. actually the fastball velocity is down below 90 miles an hour for the first time in Bundy's career. Um, but that's not really what he lives on. So if you see something with with you know drops in fastball velocity and Bundy shows up on that list, which he will, um, it's really he's combated that with by throwing more sliders, more changeups, and most importantly, throwing those secondaries for strikes. So that 28 percent ball percentage that's on the board is is elite and that is an indicator for uh the lack of walks that he has uh shown thus far now to this level right i mean no dylan bunny's not going to be this good obviously not going to have the uh the 0.59 era but you you mix this control with enough whiffs and a pitch mix change with the sliders and change-ups like i think there is some sustainability to this especially now that he's on um you know with with minnesota they're doing some some different things with the pitch mix there and um i i, I believe a lot of what he's doing early on and he's been this good before yep. um or roughly this good before uh, a couple of years ago he's just been so he's kind of been like a robbie ray so good so bad year to year um but he does own the skills of, of pitching this well for an entire season so i am um i'm pretty i'm pretty high on dylan bunny what we've seen so far from him yeah, I'm with you. Like I grabbed him on a couple twelvers this past week for cheap, just because he's got some good matchups coming up in the in the future. Got him late in some DCs just because I was like speculating, like, do we get a little Dylan Bundy action here? Like we we saw some signs of it at times towards the end of last season. Still a lot more fastballs last season, um, and it makes me wonder. I like I, I was killing time for because I wanted to pick, pick it up because a guy I love to. I don't talk trash is the right word. I'm a very sarcastic person. People take it the wrong way, but. Uh, I didn't think Chris Paddock's a very good pitcher. That's me, and we don't, we don't. He's not on the list here, so it's not a Chris Paddock discussion. But he's been really good his first couple starts with Minnesota. Like much more surprising than I thought. Uh, is he an ace? No, but uh, he's mixing things up with his pitches a bit too. You know, mixing in the curveball and the changeup evenly, which is a little different from Paddock. So the only reason why I wanted to bring Paddock up is you mentioned Bundy's doing things different. We're seeing Paddock do things different. Mm-hmm. We've seen Bailey Ober and Joe Ryan start to develop things. Maybe things are changing in Minnesota. And that's all I wanted to bring up because, it, obviously, I would not be shocked if Paddock and Bundy get shelled in a future outing. That's just par for the course. But uh, I've at least opened my eyes between Bundy and Paddock that it's a little different there right now, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the curveball usage for having Paddock, the, the knock against Paddock, well, there's been <laughs> a lot of knocks against Paddock, yeah. but – uh, one of them has been he's a two-pitch guy, and, and the curveball usage is up from 12% to 20% with a new team. And and one of the interesting things with Paddock, too, is uh, one of his starts was on like a 35-degree day against the Dodgers, which is about as, as rough as it gets. And despite that, um, the indicators look really good. Paddock just barely missed getting on this board. I forget with which indicator he just missed on, but um, his ball percentage, his whiff rate, um, are very close to um, all above average, which which supports what he's done so far. Now I'm going to have to look at Paddock for Fab this week. Lovely. Can't wait. <laughs> um, Kyle Wright, this one's pretty easy. Uh, I think he's been talked about a ton. Velocity's up. Pitch mix is phenomenal right now. Like I keep telling people that are like, oh, where'd this come from? And it's pretty simple. If you look back to his October playoff starts, 
he's it's in line with what he was doing in October when he dominated back after going to the minor leagues. We're like, where what happened to Kyle Wright? So um, he checks the boxes, like you said, 16% swinging strike, 31% ball rate, 49% ground ball rate. Everyone's waiting for the other shoe to drop, it feels like, but it doesn't look like it's going to anytime soon. So what's your thoughts on Kyle Wright? Um, I see like a lot of, and this is this kind of just came to me, but this is the kind of improvement we saw from like Dylan Cease, and we are seeing from Dylan Cease, um, a major uptick in swinging strikes and it's not just that though he's doing that well he's also retaining control and and right pitch today i was watching his start just because acuña was was playing and yeah and yeah sitting 98 with his fastball he can command the heck out of it he had a couple whiffs right on top of the zone where it's just impossible pitches and then he backs that up with the sweeper um that he can command as well so like yeah you're i mean if you have Kyle Wright like you done good ride this out buy high like I think it's going to be um, it's going to be quite the season with a two mile an hour uptick in fastball velocity, better control that's supported by the ball rate and more strikeouts that are supported by the swing strike. You cannot ask for anything more <laughs> in terms of improvement than what we've seen with Kyle Wright. So it's it's impressive. And he looked he definitely passed the eye test today. He I had not watched many of his starts um, until today. And, and yeah, he looked really good in person. Yeah, he's he's darn impressive right now. So something's brewing there in Atlanta. You got like Tyler Miguel, Shane McClanahan, Dylan Cease, you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen it with these guys, especially McClanahan and Cease last year. They're kind of picking up. Like McClanahan watching him it was yesterday or the day before. He got like two runs early and then just was filthy. The rest of the start just didn't phase him at all. Uh, that's impressive. McGill bounced back after kind of a rough outing where the weather was kind of weird and everything. And he looked great. So thoughts on those three guys as it looks like they're pretty much just business as usual now, week uh, week to week. Business as usual. The big thing with McClanahan is the ground ball rate. It sets him apart. Oh, Freeze up there with 55% ground ball rate. But McClanahan has 57% ground ball rate, which is one of the one of the best uh, that you'll find. It's it's not it's not quite Framber, but it's uh, it's close. And as you get above 50% ground ball rate, above 55% ground ball rate, that those returns get even better. So uh, McClanahan specifically, like the last question that I have with him is how long can he, you know volume wise how long could he last the second half but but man a 57 percent ground ball rate and a 19 percent swing strike rate i'm going to go out on a limb and say he's the only major league pitcher to have that combination so far this year if i'm wrong um i'd love to see who else is doing it i'll run those numbers after the pod maybe but but that's an insane combination that you just do not see of of miss bats and ground balls yeah, um, the only other person people i think gossman and rodon might have the only uh, swinging strike rates higher than that ground ball rates might not be close though so that's uh that's pretty elite stuff like you said it's like okay we either don't hit you or if we do we ground out to someone in your infield yeah. like that's a rough combination right there when you're heading to the dish going yeah this isn't good not good at all um yeah. noah Syndergaard. this is a fun one because that's there's a lot of question yeah. marks yeah. a lot of question marks coming into the season like how many innings will he go like is it worth blah 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 a lot of health concerns with noah Syndergaard. Three starts, we've got at least five innings in each start, which is already way ahead of where I, th- I thought they would slow play Noah Syndergaard. Um, he's getting strikeouts. That's starting to come back up. 13% swinging strike rate, 35% ball rate, 58% ground ball rate, which is outstanding. Um, so far, so good. I know with the injury, anything can pop up any, at any time in this situation, but a six-man rotation should help as well. 
in Anaheim. So are you a little more opt- – maybe you weren't. Maybe, maybe you were optimistic the whole time. But are you a little more optimistic on Noah Syndergaard going forward based on this this early start? Uh, a little bit more. Uh, well, definitely. Uh, definitely more. Um, the thing is, like, it, it is only three starts, and I don't uh, – God, it's such such a spike in ground ball rate. The velocity is a, is still down to – you know, it was – and his in Syndergaard's peak, it was ninety seven, ninety eight, and now he's still down at like ninety four um, or ninety five. But yeah, I mean, a jump in whiffs and ground balls and, and ball rate—that's that's great. I still just yeah, I worry about um, the second half with Syndergaard, and and yeah, like the six man rotation probably helps with that, at least stretching him and, and keeping him going. Uh, but has not thrown has thrown 19 innings since 2019 in the majors. So like I just I feel like that's going to come back to bite him at some point. But if you have Cindergard, um on a per inning basis, a per pitch basis, he obviously checks all these boxes and, and is doing the thing. So um, we'll see if that ground ball rate holds and if he can hold the the swinging strike with this kind of lower velocity. Um, but so far he's been able to at least through three starts. Yeah, he definitely has, and uh, just looking at his his pitch mix from the past, he's uh, from twenty one, which obviously didn't pitch much, but uh, let me pull up twenty right. Okay, so from twenty one, he was a heavy, heavy changeup guy. In two thousand nineteen, it was heavy sinker four seam. So he's kind of just spreading out his his four seam, his sinker, and his changeup, and adding the slider more. It looks like to start the year. So we'll see how that continues on. So it could be a pitch mix of things where you know the fastball velocity is down. Let's utilize everything else which could make sense um don't want to talk about all these guys because like freed i love max freed um frankie montas is doing frankie montas things uh, Luis severino let's keep an eye on that one the velo was down quite a bit like yeah. i don't know if you saw that ryan you probably did because you pay attention to all that stuff but from start to start to start with Luis severino it's been dropping and on this last start it dropped a couple miles per hour what's your level of uh, interest or concern with Luis severino right now I mean, it's probably. I'm just going to copy what I said with Cindergar. Uh, Severino's even even scarier in terms of like volume with only let's see, 38 innings yep. pitch since 2018. He's had a little bit more time to recover from Tommy John, uh, but yeah, that's 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 going to concern me in the second half as well. So uh, again, great start. Um, the 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 per pitch stuff is there. Uh, just like with Syndergaard, let's see how long it lasts. I this is a long, this is a long season. This is a long game, and that's a long layoff for both of these guys. Yeah, I laid off both of them because I just didn't know how many innings we get. I was concerned about reaggravation, slow play, whatever. And we'll see. Good starts, but we'll see. The last guy I do want to talk about here because he's our almost daily, our start to start, or annually conundrum known as Aaron Nola. Because any underlying stats you look at, you're like, oh, man, you should be so much better than this. The strikeouts are usually always pretty good. He just finds ways to have, like, that bad inning that makes things difficult. But last couple starts at Colorado, homing against Milwaukee, seven shutout with nine punchouts has been great. 11% swinging strike, 31% ball rate, 58% ground ball rate, which is never – all these things have never been an issue, really, for Aaron Nola in the past. Like, this is his profile. It's just the end results are just troublesome with Aaron Nola – thoughts this season dude's a unicorn man because yeah like and that this is why Aaron Nola despite having a 463 ERA in 2021 had a main event ADP in the early third round is yeah every single skill is off the charts and you combine those skills with the volume I mean that's huge for Aaron Nola 
um, as well. He's one of the league leaders in innings pitch over the last five years um, and just kind of platinum health. The problem has been home runs and just and just terrible. And, and I don't know if it's I mean, typically home runs and I've been pretty like I've been pretty staunt in this and that I really do feel that home runs or at least home run to fly ball rate is is really not within a pitcher's control. Aaron Nola is testing that theory these last four years. A homer to fly ball rate of 17% in 2019, 20% in 2020, down to 14% last year. Um, got nailed with some some BABIP and strand rate stuff last year, which is more what wrecked his ERA. But then the homer to fly ball rate's back up to 22% this year. If that ever got to like, and 22% this year, is crazy with this ball. I mean, that's that's more than double what the what the MLB average is. If Aaron Nola ever had a stretch where that homer to fly ball rate was even just league average, um, we would see like a 250 ERA from the guy. The skills are that good. Um, and again, just kind of putting to the test that 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 gopheritis. He's giving up one or two home runs every single start right now, and it's it's really frustrating because every single Aaron Nola box score is like six innings, four hits. Three earned, no walks, eight strikeouts, and two home runs. And yep. it's just like, oh, it's brutal. I had a lot of Arenola last year. If you if if you can't read between yeah. the lines of my, I have a, a little bit this year. I always have a little bit just because like I'm such a believer and like okay, this is gonna happen finally. And then he does it because and you'll be and since you've had shares, you understand. You'll be watching a start and you're like, okay, crushing, crushing, crushing. Oh crap. It's just like every time it's just he hits that wall and then he'll come back after like three more innings of crushing. It's just that one little set of like two home runs in one inning that just ruins the entire thing and makes it difficult. I watched him strike out 11 Mets in a row in a start last year, tied the major league record, and I don't think he even won the game. So. <laughs> he probably didn't. That sounds like Aaron Nola. So, yeah, very, very frustrating. Let's talk about some frustrating guys on the bad side of this situation and i'm just going to cherry pick some of the bigger names because there's like your taylor hearns your vladimir gutierrez like guys you're kind of like meh nah not too surprised like i I could see the problem here but let's just start near the bottom here and go chucky charlie morton this is a problem uh he's only got an eight percent swinging strike rate 42 percent ball rate 35 percent ground ball rate i honestly didn't know the ground ball rate was that bad because you look at his career he's like a 45 to 50 percent ground ball guy which dropping to 35 was Big drop, big, big drop. And the other thing is I knew the ball percentage wouldn't be great because he is walking guys pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So are you seeing anything to stay optimistic with Charlie Morton? Are you thinking, okay, we've said it year in and year out. He's getting older. Eventually the banana peel is going to, you know, he's going to slip. Is is he finding the banana peel or do we have optimism here? I think we're finding the the, the banana peel, uh, the Mario Kart banana peel you never want to see. It's, yep. I mean, the only thing that I see that, is a positive with Morton is he's holding the velocity from last year. Um, but that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot when you're walking uh, 5.5 per nine, you're striking out 7.5 per nine. Like those are, those are terrible numbers. And again, this is why I'm looking at this board is not just the strikeouts and the walks, but those leading indicators, the whiffs are way down. He's not throwing strikes. You tack on the 38, you know, that that's a number his age that is that is obviously concerning coming off of a broken leg. Like, I don't see anything in the skills that 
that say this start has been unlucky. Um, he has deserved every bit of a bad result. And I, I, I cringe when I say that, cause I've got some Charlie Morton. And I thought, I thought uh, at least in spring training reports were great and he looked pretty good, but it's fallen off the hinges really quick here. And I don't, I don't know if he's really a buy low right now, uh, just because you know, pitchers can change so much so quickly, especially at this age, like it's could come apart really quick and there's nothing that, that looks good right now with Charlie Morton. Yeah, that's kind of the scary part. I was digging in on him as well. I was like, oh, man, this might finally be that time. We've all been waiting for it. He's been great to us. Um, it does not look good. When I see the ground ball changes, and that's obviously yeah. some of the big guys here are massive ground ball changes compared to the norm. Uh, and then the, the velo issues, as you said, it's a little uh, little troublesome, troublesome to, to say at the least. Let's go Marcus Stroman. He's got a new new home in Chicago, and um, there's optimism there. I was a big Stroh guy last year. Fortunate I don't have as many shares this year because everyone else is kind of jumping on board now. And um, that ground ball rate is dropping massively down to 41% so far this year. Uh, 38% ball rate, only an 8% swinging strike. So we thought the strikeouts were improving last year. They've dropped down again this year. He's given up the long ball. It's been no good for Marcus Stroman. Are you seeing anything you like with him or are we really concerned? Uh, I'm not seeing much I like. I, there's a pitch mix change here where he's kind of ditched his sinker and thrown more four seamers for some reason. And I that's don't. That's not good. No, I mean that that Marcus Stroman strives on being able to throw strikes and keep the ball on the ground, um, and especially keep the ball on the ground. I mean he's had ground ball rates over sixty percent in four different seasons: fifty-four percent, twenty nineteen, fifty-one percent last year, and then. 41% this year. And again, I don't think that's really flukiness because of that pitch mix change. I mean, your four seam fastball does not get ground balls like a sinker does. Um, so that's a concern. Maybe it's correctable and that he just goes back to the sinker. Uh, but maybe the Cubs for whatever reason are telling him not to do that. So that's, that's a real big concern. I was real. I was, I was one of those who was very high on Stroman. He had like a, an Evaldi esque um, stat he made a bunch of boards this offseason because he was i think the only player in baseball with three pitches at like a 16 percent swing strike rate and so i saw strikeout upside uh, if anything with stroman in addition to the ground balls and the and the and the usually typically good control and that has all gone kaput very early on i mean an eight percent swing strike is terrible um, he's not throwing strikes and he's not keeping on the ground. So, um, yeah, a lot of warning signs, 698 ERA. He's deserved most of it. Yeah, no, and I don't blame you for liking him. Like I said, I liked him just more people were in on him this year. So it was harder for yeah. me to, to get my shares like I did last year. And it's just, it's always baffling to me. And, and you mentioned him changing to his fastball more than his sinker. And you see guys do this all the time. And when dum-dums like me can look at a thing and say, Hey buddy, this pitch works better for you. Why aren't you throwing it? And these guys still don't do it. It's like, I'd, I'd love to know the conversations that are had in those locker rooms on why they decided to do things differently. Cause they obviously see something we don't, but it, it's obviously that's, not working either. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I always struggle. And actually going back to Aaron Nola, that's one of the things that happened last year with him is he threw more four seamers, less sinkers, and it hurt his ground ball rate. But I, yeah, there's got to be something more too. I mean, we just sit here, we can pull it up on Savon or, or yeah. whatever and see the pitch mix and it makes intuitive sense. So yeah, I, I honestly, I, I'm sure there's a great reason for why Strom is not throwing a sinker and going to four seamers. I don't know what that is. And obviously the results haven't uh, agreed with that change either. All right. This one's more like um, selfish of me to mention, but let's talk Eduardo Rodriguez. 
big Erod oh. fan over here. It's been it's been ugly, Ryan. It's been, been it's been rough. But then I look at his game logs. I'm sitting there going six innings, three earned six Ks. Six innings, three earned five Ks. Three and two thirds, two earned five Ks. He's always got the walk issues, and that uh, makes sense with you know the 38 percent ball rate. Only the 30 percent ground ball rate is getting him home run in three straight games. But you know what those lines remind me of? A poor man's Aaron Nola. <laughs> it, it's like they're not horrific starts, but by no means are they helping you win a fantasy team like title. It's just like, where's the good Erod? Do we have hope for the good Erod? I, I try to keep hope. But like I said, I'm selfish and like this is a guy I've invested heavily in. So as a non-bias, how do you how do you look at Erod? <laughs> also, if you heard my gasp when you said his name, also heavily invested yeah. in Erod. Um Similar refrain here, and this is why these guys are on the list, but um, another warning side with Erod's the the velocity, um, 93.1 in 2019, 92.6 last year down to 91.9. Now he's had he's had a few cold weather starts, so take it with say, somewhat wonder, of a grain of salt. Yeah. Yep. Um, but when you combine but when you combine the drop in velocity with the drop in whiffs, with the drop in K's. With the drop in ground ball rate, uh, he's giving up a ton of line drives and fly balls. Like, uh, I'm still being patient with him. I think he'll probably be fine, but I would like to see that velocity tick back up once the weather starts getting a little warmer. Um, because, uh, because yeah, basically no indicator is looking good right now for Erod. 503 ERA, and at HQ we've expected ERA, which is all skills based, similar to kind of like FIP X FIP is at 489. So it's right there. Right there with his uh, surface level results. Got to wait it out. I got to think um, he'll be there. And the volume's there, even though maybe it's the volume, the quality of that volume isn't what it was. But I, th- I think I think we wait it out and see see where it goes. But early signs, not so hot. Yeah, I'm much more optimistic there than I am with some of the guys we already mentioned. Let's put it that way. But again, might be biased in this one because – I pounded that drum a lot, and um, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a tough one to to to, to settle on. Um, let's jump up top a little bit here, and let's talk Julio Urias. Two five ERA, eight percent swinging strike, thirty seven percent ball, forty one percent ground ball rate. Uh, the walks he's got about two or more walks in three or four starts, but you've got you know four or more Ks in three straight starts, one run or less in three straight starts. So like the overall lines are looking better with Julio Urias, but when you look at the bloom board here, there's still some red flags with Julio. And I'll be honest to people that didn't pay attention to what I've said before is I was out on Julio with the massive innings jump last year, scared the snot out of me going into this year. Um, and velo has been an issue early on. So how do you look at uh, Julio Urias uh, based on this board? I'm a little bit, so I'll dive a little bit deeper um, and go kind of game by game here. But I will, yeah, I will say I've been, I, I'm going to be nice to Julio here because I've been, I've been pretty, I had his forecaster box and basically um, concluded it with your rostering him coming off a career year. Yeah. Um, like I, I thought not much of what we saw last year from the, the elite, elite walk rate that like no one posts uh, from the, the jump in volume and innings. Like I, I thought he was being overdrafted. However, um, you look at you look at Urias's game logs. First start at Coors, cold weather, four whiffs, two innings, gave up three runs, no strikeouts and two walks terrible outing that outing is going to stick with his even with these per pitch metrics that's going to that's going to linger for a while it's going to take a few more starts for, for that to wash out but by start urea swinging strikes uh four four and then nine and seven 
in his last two. Um, in terms of strikeouts, zero in that first start, then five, then six, then four, and then the walks have been okay, and then the home runs he's only given up two all year. So I would say like the start to start improvement is one thing that I would if you're if you're a big Urias guy. Um, that's a feather in your cap for something that might turn around is that uh, the first start was just so bad. I think a lot of those numbers are still kind of lingering in these skills and things have looked a little bit better um, going forward. Velocity has also been up his last two starts as well. So not super concerned, but also um, was never big on, on Urias anyway. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how that one keeps playing out. Cause I'm just, I just don't see how the innings jumps going to work for him, but um, you never know. Things yeah. change. Um, any other names? Because I don't want to go through all of them. Most of them are probably going to be here for a bad reason. Are there any names you're optimistic on here? Like Mad Bum's been looking, but he's, he's getting away with it, but it's not great. Tanner Houck's on here, and I think a lot of it's because yeah. of the ball percentage. He's a little wild with this stuff, but he's sometimes wildly effect, effectively wild, as they say. Um, you got Wayno on here, Cal Quantrill, Gomber, Dane Dunning, so on and so forth. Anybody you're optimistic on on this list? It's funny, like... <laughs> So like Michael Waka is one of the names, like when I look at it, it's just so like I was and I, I think I mentioned Waka on one of our earlier pods and some one of the listeners asked, like, who's your post round 25 pitcher that you're all over? And Waka was one of my choices. And like, yeah, Waka has a 177 ERA, like victory lap. I'm going to do it. And then, yeah, what do you do with that? Because the underlying metrics for Waka actually look terrible same with Hauk. i was a big Hauk guy coming into the season and um has not looked good at all from a skills perspective despite the um the excellent era the the 287 era so i would say in terms of like your your question i would still be pretty optimistic on tanner Hauk. i think just um you know despite the early drop in whiffs the um the velocities there he just needs to get miss more bats with the slider, which he has shown he's done in the past. So um, I would say Tanner Houck is one that like that I'm not too worried about. But again, it's also weird to say I'm not worried about someone with a 287 ERA. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like yeah, Walk Up, Mad Bum, um, Houck, those are guys who are at the top of the list because the list is sorted by ERA, and um, they have not deserved those skills so far. So it's it's an interesting conundrum when you're high on somebody they actually show out with the results, but then you dig a little bit deeper and you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. Now that's how I was. Like I was looking at Mad Bum the other day. I'm thinking, okay, like stats look great. And then it's like, okay, nope, nope. Don't get, don't get too excited about this. This is a rough one here. And then, you know, Walker was great for that two start week to start things out. And then, you know, it's like, okay, thanks Walker. You did your thing. We're moving on. Like just little things like that. Uh, talked about it with Toby this past week, Cal Quantrill. I love this, the improvements last year concerned with what i saw so far drop them it's a guy i can pick up later if i need to same with dane dunning like there's there's mm-hmm. stuff i like with these young guys but they're not like at least in 12 team leagues like they're not rosterable all the time they're streamers so it, it's interesting and the, and the fact they show up on this list kind of i guess i'm trying to like validate my thoughts but it, it makes sense they're on their list for a reason that um we'll see how it plays out let's put it that way yeah it's just interesting to kind of wrap this up like the the, so this list is obviously all the like below average, right? Swing strike, ball rate, ground ball rate. And then you it's all sorted by ERA. And so there are, I don't know, maybe like 15 to 20 guys. A third of them have an ERA over six. Maybe another third is like right around between four and five. And then the top third is, is ERAs of one, 1.7, 2.8. It's just crazy how um, 
especially this early in the season, like four starts in results can wild vary so wildly when the underlying skills say these pitchers have kind of been the same guy. Uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy how much ERA can swing um, because of a pitcher's fault or inherited runners bullpen lets him in. Like it, it just makes such a difference on ERA. Um, Giovanni Gallegos or owners might, I was about might, to say, might, that was a big might one. have that example too. those foreign runs from a reliever, which should no way have been earned. Um, that's going to sting for a long time. That's, yeah, that's a big one. Big, big one. So anyway. we'll see how that plays out. But let's do some listener questions here before we wrap this bad boy up. Um, our buddy Ben Tid at Breaking Ben underscore T says, in one of my 15 teamers, I have Swanson, Dansby, Christian Walker, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Jorge Soler consistently starting and destroying my average. My plan is to just stick it out for now and wait for them to hopefully get hot. Do you think that's the correct thing to do for now? Again, 15-teamer. Yeah, he he sent me a screenshot of his main event team today, and I think it was an 0-for-24 to start. So that's Oof. that's Oof. Uh, it's brutal. Um, I think, yeah, you've got to wait these guys out. I, I mentioned this on the show two weeks ago with hitters like, I don't think hitters change as much as like pitchers where if you see a sudden drop of velocity, you see the swinging strikes get cut in half. Like I, I get really worried very quickly with hitters like slumps happen. Um, it takes a lot more for a hitter to kind of change in my opinion from his baseline level. So like Dansby Swanson, I think is going to be fine. Like, yeah, he's hitting, I think he hit ninth today with Acuna back and, and he hit a home run and he hit a home run and he stole a base. Yeah. Um, as well. So guys like that, you've got to keep them in, keep riding those guys, even, even kind of your mid-level bats like Swanson, um, keep those going until I typically do like Memorial day as a, as a rough gauge. And then I'll get a little bit more aggressive, but you got to give some of these guys time to, uh, turn it around now, Jorge Soler and batting average wise. I don't, I don't know about that. That might be a little bit more dicey but uh, i'm much more patient on the hitter side as long as they're playing every day um let let it wash out let, let them let them let them hit especially in those 15 teamers like what's yep. your replacement uh, yeah value? what's your like, yeah. you're not you're not dropping these guys for much that makes you like all warm and fuzzy and um you said you said the memorial day that's kind of what I was, but i've been saying give me at least the third to the last third or last week in may like before we get real crazy with things and, and then we can go from there like christian walker you look at the, the contact rates, the hard hit rates and stuff. They're pretty solid still. So like that, so that, that's much improved from last season. So that's a good thing to see. Swanson will be fine. Dahlbeck's still striking out less. Like So there's some positives if you need that. Solaire, that's a whole other story. I was looking at that the other day, and that's troublesome. But he was like that last year. And then he started to get things going and tore it up when he went to Atlanta. So you never know with these guys. They're, they're good enough to go on some runs to, to make you forget all about the start to the season. Uh, Richard Sands, not a question, just a humble brag. I got a Cooney in the third round of my main event. That's that's a lucky man right there. Lucky, lucky but man. but Richard, did you have the foresight to start, to start him, him on Monday this week? That's get the those fun two part. Steals today. That's, yep. That how would be my follow. Rostered him. I guarantee. Like, where's everybody with like their roster rates? Who? How many rostered him this week? That that's the fun one. Um, was, this uh, wasn't I think, tweet. Yeah, I think it was Tom Kessinick who who helps run the NFC. He had yeah. a good tweet out there. It's like, could they just call him up on a Friday so we could change our change our rosters? Uh, this was not a tweet; it was a DM. But he asked a question, and I said, "I'm going to bring it up on the show because I think it's a, it's a good conversation point." So uh, it's from Brian Brian Gas Gansert. Sorry, he says, "Do you see any red flags with Garrett Cole? I've been offered Cole for Shane McClanahan and Mackenzie Gore." 
I want to to take it, but yeah. I it kind of scares me. Maybe I'm overthinking it. That's a tough one. Um, I thought it was good for the show. Like a little, like, are you worried about Cole? Cole? Yeah. Do you are you concerned there? And then the trade. We just talked about how good Shane O'Mac. We just is. talked about yeah. <laughs> we, we I just like it, you know said McClanahan's the only pitcher in baseball with some combination exactly. of ground ball and swinging strike. I think you gotta you gotta stick with Cole at this uh-huh. point. You gotta stick with him. I don't I don't think the whiffs are there. The whiffs are actually up from last year. It's just some early wildness. And really that wildness was just in one start when he had those five walks in one start at that Detroit on April 19th. Every other start Cole has given up one walk. So um that's tempting, especially because I, I i mean, I really like McClanahan. I really do. Um, but my point kind of stands is it could be August and McClanahan's on the IL and who knows with Gore and, and Garrett Cole is doing his thing um, because that's what he's done basically every year. So I, I would hold, but it's um, it's a real that's a really good question. That's a really interesting one. Yeah, that's why I thought to bring it up because we love all those pitchers. Like I was just tweeting about Gore like. He's been awesome for two starts, both versus the Reds, which helps a ton. But um, it's like these guys are good, but you know Gore could be down when Snell and and uh, and uh, Clevenger come back. I don't think he will be, but he could be. He's young; his innings will be limited. Like there's a lot of things that could take place there. And then you mentioned like it all takes is one injury, and you're you're through. Like Cole is still was like the top pick in drafts for a reason. I wouldn't get too too concerned about it just yet. Uh, Johnny L MLB moving averages asks, how are you approaching and applying X stats? We know they're out of whack, but not by precisely how, but we don't know by how much since the change is affecting the entire league. Is it as simple as moving the benchmarks for average or elite? So this is a really good question. We could, this could almost be its own, its own podcast. Well, we could use it as an opener and we could do like a board with it next week for all I got. Cause there's ways to, to go with this if you'd like. No, it's it's good. It's 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 good to talk about. So, and just to get this is a very basic uh, explain if if folks aren't familiar with X stats, basically that's all Statcast driven data as what your batting average should be, what your uh, or sorry should have been. It's descriptive. Um, what your on base percentage, what your slugging should have been based on how hard you're hitting the ball and launch angle. So things like exit velocity. And and launch angle. So based on those inputs, um, what should your slugging percentage, what should your batting average be? Don asked the question because it has all been thrown out of whack this year because of the ball. And so a a and this has happened multiple times. You can hit a hundred and one mile an hour ball at at 101 mile an hour exit velocity at a 30 degree launch angle. Most years there's like an 80% chance of that being a home run this year. It's not a home run. And so your expected slugging is going to be a lot higher than your actual slugging because of that reason, because in the past that batted ball should be a home run this year. It's not. So what we're seeing, we're seeing that in the data, Uh, the league wide slugging percentage right now is 366. The league-wide expected slug is 429. That's a massive, massive difference. So just to compare that to last season, I'll go back to 2021. It was dead on. The the league average uh, slugging percentage was 411, and the league average X slug was 407. So it was right there. This year it's way off uh, because of the ball. So to go back to John's question is you cannot just look at on a player-by-player basis and say, okay, this hitter has 
an X slug 50 points above his slugging percentage. Therefore he's going to improve. That's not the case because every hitter has an expected slugging or expected batting average, whatever you're looking X Woba, whatever um, well above what their actual thing is. So you can't just compare those two numbers, which is what I see a lot of out there uh, for one particular player and say, they're going to improve because there is that gap. Um, it gets even more like complicated because when I say changes to the ball, a lot of that is like humidor induced yeah. and the effect of the humidor can change based on which ballpark that they're in. And so especially this early in the season, if you've got hitters who have been hitting in parks that more are more affected by the humidor um, than ones that are not, that's also going to affect their slugging by expected slugging. So it's um, it's it's a whole, like I said, it could be a whole other podcast, but to kind of do the TLDR is do not look at it player by player. However, I still think you can kind of use it if you calibrate it. So maybe if, if you know, if you really want to subtract, um, you know, 50 points of X slug minus slug to get that kind of league average to where it's been at, you can still see, I mean, everything kind of is relative. There are going to be guys who are a hundred points below their X slug, and maybe they are a little bit more, um, kind of destined to improve than someone who is only 50 points below his X slug. Um, so there is a little bit to that where you can do it by, um, by everything's relative. Um, but don't just take a look at those two stats and think someone's going to improve because the whole, the whole thing has been thrown off this year. Okay. You answered a couple of my questions there. Like I still agree that there's something to them. <laughs> no, no, I, I've listened to it. I, I believe there's something and you kind of hit on it with, like if the gap is large, large, okay, there's probably mm-hmm. something to to be garnered from that, which I agree with. That's like when I made my Nelson Cruz comments earlier, he has some large gaps in his compared to other players. My question for you is you basically, you said that pretty much everyone's got a gap of some sort. What if they don't? How nervous are you about that player? Yeah, if they don't, that means um, they, they are, are some like performing. That. Yeah. yeah, like if if yep, if someone has a slug and an X slug that are exactly the same, that's actually not good this year. Yeah, that's what uh, I say. <laughs> because your X slug should be if you're if you're with the rest of the league, uh, yep. your X slug should be like sixty percent or sixty points higher. Uh, so that is where it kind of comes in, where it's all relative. Is if you see someone where it's it's right right on, it's actually not right on. Uh, they're actually mm-hmm. overperforming. Yeah, you know that. That's what I wanted to bring up there because I'm like <laughs> some that I've looked at aren't as gapped out as you think it's like oops that's not good um, what is cruises so Cruz has an x slug of 501 and a slug of i know as we look this up during the pod great audio a slug of 250 that's so yeah like that's There's a gaps. major <laughs> yeah so like i think and people may disagree i would go out on a very short limb and say he has been underperforming and should be fine when your x slug is double exactly that's kind of what i was saying earlier i'm like yeah because i know like i've heard many arguments you know x stats you know like even rob dipietro commented basically they're trash and i've heard other people say like don't use them like i like to use them because hey we, we write a lot of content we need something to justify what we're doing um but everything anything we use you have to use it with a grain of salt and some logic as well you can't just like plug it in and be like oh duh like here it is but uh when i see gaps like what nelson had the other day i've even like written about it but i saw it i'm like oh okay that's one that stands out like that was what jorge soler looked like last year and you're like waiting for the breakout and then it, it broke out um it's not like a guy that's just barely underachieving or whatever so 
Yeah, it'll be you interesting, know, but I like I like the yeah. idea of kind of just, you know, maybe taking it back like 50 points or something, just like kind of bring it back to reality so you can still kind of see the pros and cons of it a little bit. And you can look it up. And if and if anyone has questions, just ask me, like you can look up the league average. And so if you want to check in on that, if maybe maybe it gets a little bit closer later on in the season to kind of readjust that that gap. But but yeah, I agree. Like if you do want to use it, um, I think it still can be useful. Just just remember that there's yeah. there's a there's a huge gap. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And that does not always get narrated properly in a two hundred and whatever character tweet. So yeah. uh people yes. need to understand that as well. Correct. Um, and our last question we have here from JLD thoughts on these three starting pitchers going forward, Gallon, McGill and Rasmussen. Um, yeah, I've professed my love for Siler many times on this pod. So, um, I, I don't think he's asking us to rank them, but yeah. of, of the three McGill is by far, um, my favorite just because of what we've seen with velocity increase, the changeup so good. Um, the health has been there through, I think, 130, 140 innings last season. Um, so I think if we were drafting right now, McGill would be like a third or fourth round starting pitcher um, and would probably be worth it. So he's good to go. Zach Gallen, um, I believe I made this point a couple weeks ago, or at least early on, like he finished really strong in the second half last season through 80 innings on an Arizona team that had no reason to throw him if they weren't totally sure he was completely healthy. So Zach Allen looks great. I mean, a 0.6 ERA through three starts, he's not going to hold that up, but we've got his skills around like a 350 ERA at HQ. Um, missing some bats, the velocity's up a full mile per hour from last season. And I'm not super worried about the health. He was a little bit slow to ramp up. Uh, but again, just because he finished uh, last season, um, healthy i'm i'm a pretty big gallon believer rasmussen i don't know too much about like i i i worry about rays being raised but rasmussen at least in his four starts has gone four innings five innings three innings six innings in his last start um on the per inning basis he's great and, and looked fantastic against seattle his last time out so um i mean i i don't know what your alternatives are for rasmussen but um on a, on a skill basis, he looks fine, and it looks like Tampa's at least willing to take him long enough to at least qualify for wins, which is uh, a huge deal uh, right now. Yeah, that was my biggest concern with Rasmussen is I never thought he'd get the the, the workload, and he's increased his pitches every game. He's up to 84 at last start where he went six yep. innings. And like, you look at his O-swing on the season, 33.5% O-swing. He's got a 14.6% swinging strike. It was almost 23% this last game against Seattle. Yeah. Uh, he's got some filthy stuff. There's no questioning that. So it's just a question, what does Tampa can – is it just going to max out at 85? Is that what we're doing all season and see where it goes? Or does he get the Shane McClanahan treatment where it's like, okay, you're one of our, our dudes, so we're going to let you go and, and and see where it goes for at least 100 pitches. Like – Blake Snell didn't like it, but that might be what it's going to be and uh, and go that route. And if that's the case, if we can, like, get 100 every time out, he's very intriguing. Very mm -hmm. Like, I'd have him behind Siler for me. Gallon is just a conundrum to me. Like, I, I you've mentioned many valid things. I just, I, I don't know. I just can't get, get locked into him. He's very good, but it's just that's one of my own issues in my head. But uh, I like Rasmussen quite a bit. If we can get the race to just let him go, I think it's a very, very strong spot to be in. All right, Ryan, we're going to wrap things up there. Another successful, very fun episode in the books. Uh, any final thoughts as we head into another wonderful weekend of fab for the listeners? Uh, no, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, 
So it's good to be back again. Apologies missing last week, but life happens. But uh, but great to talk with you, and we'll get going through the weekend here. So keep an eye on that O'Neill Cruz call up. We'll see what happens. Oh, I so hope it happens. I so hope it does. But we'll have to wait and see for that and see what other fun news we have and watch the injuries. Jock Jams is probably going on the aisle, folks. So let's have some uh, some positive vibes there and everything else that's going on. But make sure you check out Ryan on the Twitter at RyanBHQ. I am at BDEntrick. Sorry. And we will uh, we will catch you guys next week with another episode of Bubba in the Bloom as this was episode five. Missed it. The Cunha's back. See you later. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.